This is a podcast devoted to the awakened woman, for all the non-binary beings and femme-identifying folk devoted to living life awake. And I'm devoted to bringing you the conversations that speak to the wild, wise, woke one within you. And I'm here to uncover the stories, the rituals and the practices to awaken the fun, free force of nature that you were born to be. Let's go deep. Miss Liz Mars, how are you doing, my love? I'm so good. How are you? I'm good. Do you love how I shift into my radio voice when I hit record? (laughs) I just kind of like realized that then. I was like, we were having a conversation prior as I always do with each guest and it always helps when it's one of your best girlfriends. Mm. So we're chit-chatting and then I hit record and I'm like, good evening. (laughs) (laughs) Your voice, it's just honey to my soul. I love your voice so much. Oh, I think you're slightly biased, but thank you, baby girl. So you're here and you are the very first guest flying Mm. under the new flag of the Awakened Woman podcast. And so I want to get into your story because there's, whoa, there's so much there and you're just such a wealth of wisdom. And I also love the way that you express because it always feels so relatable. Like the way you break stuff down, the way you explain stuff, I'm always like, oh, that makes so much sense when you say it like that. (laughs) But before we get to that, I want to ask you, what does it mean to you to be an awakened woman? Mm, Yeah. The word that comes to mind for me is sovereignty which the way that I define sovereignty is being completely self-governing outside of the opinions or judgments or ideas of anybody else or society at large. Mm. Yeah, to truly be able to operate from your own roadmap, from your own inner guide and intuition. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Yeah, (laughs) wow. To be self-governing, like that's a challenging thing. Like it's not necessarily the easiest thing, is it, to live when there are so many opinions and programs, especially as women. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey to sovereignty, to being an awakened woman? Did you have like, let's say, just a bathroom floor moment, spontaneous awakening, or was it gradual or was it a bit of both? Yeah, Great question. I mean, I think it was gradual. And then there was definitely like a moment, like an oh my God moment where I really realized like I had to really shift into following my own roadmap and let go of the expectations and programs that I had been placed under and in. But I've always been just super spiritual in the sense that I guess I've just been interested in the human, the the emotions that humans experience. And when I was younger, it was always through music, through poetry, through Chicken Soup for the Soul books, where Mm. people would be talking about heartbreak or talking about death. And it was like, I hadn't actually experienced any of those things, but there was something in me that just like deeply connected to those emotions. And so I would write things down. I would write poetry down. I would write the lyrics of music down and I would read chicken soup for the soul out loud to my invisible classroom. And I always was just a connector. I just always found myself in deep relationships with people from a young age. And although I was never studious in school, I was very social. And that was something that I experienced 
as I got older, some real difficulties around because I was the kid in the back of the room that was like passing notes around and deeply connecting with friends and even boyfriends at a young age, but I couldn't quite wrap my head around like the math and science and how to kind of make good grades and be in that sort of intellectual space. And I was kind of taught at a young age that there was something wrong with me in a sense. Like I remember failing the standardized test and my teachers saying to my mom, like, we've got to figure out what's wrong with her. Like, how are we going to get her back on track? Mm -hmm. And so I really like internalized that as there's something wrong with me. And my mom like kind of was, you know, just trying to, from the most loving place inside of her, really just wanted me to, you know, be, have an easy time, I guess you would say. And so she kind of toted me around to these different testing centers and was like, what is, you know, how can we get her on track? How can we help her learn like the rest? And there was all these different diagnoses given to me, auditory processing disorder, potential ADD, like all these different things. And it was like, oh, you know, you're going to have extra testing time or you can go in a different room and sort of like be away from the rest of the kids so you're not distracted. And I was embarrassed by it, you know, mm -hmm. and I was, even though I was, you know, having all of these really like connected experiences through music and dancing and all the different creative endeavors I was in that wasn't really fully praised as much as I wish it would have been, although it was all mm -hmm. perfect. And I was, there was a lot of comparison with other kids and what other kids were doing. And so yeah. I really had to that's been just some of the programming that I've had to learn how to come through the other side of. But kind of along those lines, it's just like realizing that I've been a little bit different than other kids and wow. the, the experience of that and that being okay. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How when there's so such a focus on, let's say, a certain style of learning, because learning by rote or even you know, learning the way the traditional education systems teach isn't for every kid. Mm -hmm. And then we risk destroying kids' self-esteem over a math score. And then you think about like as you get older, yeah, of course, maths can be really important and depends on which career you're in and basic maths, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, how often are you pulling out a lot of the math stuff or the science stuff that we learn in everyday life? And yet how often are we leaning on our self-esteem? Mm -hmm. And so to destroy or potentially affect or encumber a kid's self-esteem based on something far less valuable is such a dangerous thing. So it's just such a blessing that for some reason, and I'm excited to hear more about it, you were able to actually not only keep that self-esteem intact, but support, end up supporting other people mm -hmm. in developing their own. So kudos to you, sister. So Thank tell us, you're at school, you realize you're different to other kids. And I guess that's probably played a big part into why you're so self-governing because you were forged by the fire, right, of being different, being kind of ostracized in a way or pointed out. So from school to adulthood, how do you start to forge this path of taking this kind of challenge, let's say, and turning it into your superpower, which is how I see you now? Tell us mm -hmm. more about that. Yeah. So it was like even during those times, like I was still really popular and kids liked me. And so I think that was one of the things that like really kept me on the path. And I was just naturally a positive, energetic, Sagittarius rising young girl. And so people really liked me. And so even though I was experiencing sort of like this 
sort of shaming for not, you know, having it as easy as other kids. I was very adjusted and I did really well. And the reason even why I bring all that up is because it was just sort of the beginning of the way in which I think as humans, we are sort of programmed into a certain system. And in order to keep things in order, it's like if everybody just learns the same, if everybody acts the same, then it's easier to sort of understand and control in a sense. Mm. And so that sort of carried out into other areas of my life. And that kind of carried into the love department as well as I got older, where it was like, I was really looking, I was sort of taught at a young age too, by what I saw that I needed to experience safety and security from somebody outside of me. And that was going to be a man that was going to be a partner. And it was like something that I deeply wanted, but it was like coming from a place of need as opposed to a place of real sovereignty and choosing. And so as I got older, I found myself in all these relationships with people that really like looked good on paper, but there was just something that was missing. It wasn't fully lighting me up in the way that I felt like love was supposed to light me up, but it was like, you know, all the boxes were checked. Like he's Jewish, he makes money, he's this, he's that, or he's not that. He's all these other things, but he's like, you know, the fullness of what you're supposed to experience. And I guess really what I'm trying to get to is that, you know, I've, it wasn't until I was about 29 years old and I found myself living in New York and I was working in cosmetic sales and I had, was making really good money. And by the standards of anybody else, it was like, wow, she's doing really well. And I was, and I had amazing friends and I was in a six year long relationship with an amazing guy. And it was like, all these boxes were checked, but it was like, I wasn't fully connected with my life. And then my father was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. Hmm. And at that time, it was like a real slap in the face. Like that's the kind of thing that happens to other people, but not to me or not to anyone that I'm close with. And Hmm. it was this like moment of holy shit. And for the next eight months, as my dad was sick and then eventually passed away, it was like when I really had my awakening. It was really when I came into meditation when I really came into my yoga practice even deeper and when I really came into presence with myself and the the very brief time that we have on earth and how important it is to really do the things that we want to do. And so that was the moment of sort of like let go of like, let me really assess my life and go through every category and like really see, is this fully, does this feel, does this make me feel the way that I want to feel? And anything that didn't like cut that sort of cut, cut or make the list or whatever was just kind of the moment where I decided I was going to let go, fully let go without knowing what was coming next, but just trying to follow my guides, my heart in the way that it was guiding me. Mm. So I think that experience, like my father getting sick was like the thing that allowed me to be like, I'm no longer going to kind of try to fit in all these different boxes. And try to make other people, for that matter, fit into these boxes as well that aren't actually, you know, working for me or meant for me. Wow. Thank you, firstly, for sharing that with us. And I'd love to know from your perspective, because loss and grief, some of the most painful experiences humans go through and to lose your dad in that way, I imagine was so extremely painful. And yet it also seems like you alchemize that into your awakening. So 
for anyone who's experiencing loss or grief or even just, I mean, I guess we all will eventually, right? We're all human. What do you think that the lesson is for us in loss and grief? Mm, The lesson in, I would say, presence and detachment are two words that really come to mind. Mm. Um, Because when we can really become aware of the reality that everything is always changing, and that nothing is actually here to stay forever in the way that we think it's supposed to stay. Like everything is constantly changing and things are are taking different forms, right? Mm. It brings us into the present moment to really be with what is here right now and appreciate it. Mm. And I think for me, losing my father was this opportunity to be like, I'm going to lose every human. And not from this like grim, dark place, but just from a place of like, that means I want to really let go of like, get off my phone, like kind of try to eliminate distractions as much as possible so I can be present with whomever I'm with. Mm. And then on top of that is the detachment, which is, you know, and this is something that I think we constantly get to work on. It doesn't come very easily or naturally, but just to, let go of the attachment of the way that we want things to unfold or turn out and to trust that whatever is happening for us in order to serve, you know, the highest good. And we can't always understand what that, we can't always understand it because sometimes most of the time it doesn't look like the way we thought it was going to look. But if we can just trust that you know, the shifting and the changing is is for the betterment overall, then mm. we can really be with what is and be present with it and be in the moment. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think it's so relevant, particularly to the moment that we're in as a collective right now, you know, this like facing of uncertainty and letting go of the world we thought we knew and for many, many people, jobs, homes, loved ones. It's like we really are in this collective death process, this collective let go. And so hearing you talk about that, what comes to mind is like the idea of faith and trust. And so is there a way that yourself, because I know you said, yeah, like detachment piece, it's not necessarily easy, right? So it's like, is there a way that you sort of strengthen your trust muscle or that you cultivate faith for anyone listening who might be like, okay, I want a piece of that, but I'm not there yet. (laughs) Do you have any tips for them? Yeah. I think it's just a moment to moment practice. Um, (sighs) I think it is trial and error. It's taking action based off of it really starts with, I think, our thoughts. And we can either choose to think that we live in a world that is scarce or unkind or unloving. And then from those thoughts and beliefs, there's feelings and emotions that follow that, which is going to be followed by actions and behaviors. Mm. And so I guess really the, the main tools is really a practice of starting to like watch the inner dialogue of what's going on in the head and the stories that are being created. 
which can be done through meditation. It can be done through journaling. It can be done through reading certain books and talking to coaches or therapists. But the internal dialogue, from my perspective, is what really creates our experience and our reality. And so if I believe, you know, if I choose to believe that I'm going to have a stronger relationship with my father in his non-physical form than in his physical form, then I'm going to feel more expanded in my body and I'm going to feel more excitement around what that could look like. And then Mm. I'm going to experience situations in my life that look like synchronicities where I feel him and I see him, whether it's Mm. through a dream that I experience or someone that I meet, you know, this actually happened, someone that I meet at a wedding who happened, like a 50-person wedding in the middle of Wyoming who happened to go to high school with my dad and dated him Wow, on a full moon, you know, where followed by an experience where I had a dream where he was speaking to me. So Mm. I think that it has to start with just even a small opening of perhaps it can be different than I think it is, or perhaps it can be better than I thought it was. Oh, that's so potent, Liz. Yes. It just (laughs) starts with that simple thought that like, maybe life isn't how it seems. Maybe it could be different. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, wow. So potent. When did you start to realize, like, not only just the spiritual awakening, but that, like, there's a deeper layer to life? There are unseen forces at play that perhaps life is a little more magical and mystical than we were perhaps taught or led to believe. Like, do you feel you had that moment as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I'm constantly having that moment. we live in such a 3d experience and through the work that I've been doing on myself, like, you know, after I lost my father is the, the work of seeing the magic and following, following the magic. So for me, it's about a moment. Again, it's like, I go back to this moment to moment practice, but like what makes me feel contracted and what makes me feel expanded And that could look like, does it feel expansive to get on my computer right now and answer emails or does that feel contracted? And can I just choose to always follow the expansive feeling, even if there's a story that I need to answer the emails now, because then, you know, check this off my list. So it's all the energy behind what we do that really matters. Mm. And so when I follow the expanded feeling in my life, so if I feel more expanded to go for a walk than I do to answer the emails, then on that walk, I trust that I'm going to get a hit about an email that I want to send or how I want to respond to something. Whereas if, if I would have done it from an energy that was forced, it would have led to potential probably more chaos. So it's kind of just like understanding that if anything is done from a contracted place, then it usually is followed by chaos. (laughs) Mm. Whereas if I follow my expansion, if I follow the thing that feels more expansive to me, then it's usually followed by this like magical unfolding of synchronicity and excitement, really. It's like, oh, wow, I never expected that I would have run into you on this walk. And oh, you're doing this thing that I've been thinking about and, oh, we should have tea. Oh, and then we end up like 
collaborating together or something. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like contraction begets contraction and expansion begets expansion. It's kind of like Tony Robbins has this theory, which I love. He says, state before strategy. Mm. Like you should always tend to your mental, emotional state of being. Then when you go to the strategy or the answering of the emails, you're coming from that better feeling place. And I feel like I have to constantly remind myself of that one when I'm like coming up against a challenge and I'm feeling really contracted and nothing's moving forward because I can get into (laughs) that like pushing or that achieving. And I've done a lot of work around it, but it's like always a nice reminder. I'm like constantly reminding Patrick and Patrick is constantly reminding me. We Mm. have each other for that to be study buddies there. Like Mm -hmm. exactly you said, maybe you need to move your body, go for a walk, take a break, like state first. But what would you say the best strategy is for making sure that it's not your, let's say, shadow? Because it can be a tricky one, right? If we're like, okay, I want to follow what is expansive for me, but like, let's say low key, you've got a shadow that's actually in avoidance, doesn't want to answer the emails, is like kind of sabotaging you, let's say. And then we might think that we're following our quote unquote bliss or like following the expansion. It can be tricky, don't you agree? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It can totally be tricky. And I think that is such a good question because I think that just comes back to really getting to know our shadows and getting to know ourselves. So it's like knowing how we avoid what we do in those moments when we just like don't want to deal or don't want to sit with or don't want to feel the feelings, right? Yes. And if whoever out there and myself and whoever is listening, I just think that like as we get to know ourselves and get to know the ways that we avoid or the ways that we push or the ways that we sort of go into distrust, then it's almost, it's like doing the opposite of that. Yes. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. So it's like, that's kind of like the simple way of saying it. Totally. It's like, as long as you can see it, if once you see it, you can't unsee it. If you know, you've journaled, you've done the shadow work, you're like, I know that my go-to avoidance strategy is X, Y, and Z. You start doing that thing. Yeah. You not know you're doing it. <laughs> you can't not know you're doing it. And I think like I'm really similar to you. Like I will sometimes go into this push and like I'll send all these like emails out or I'll do it from a place of like, you know, distrust, I would say mm. is the simplest way that I would say it. And that would be my shadow pattern is to go into the sort of overwork or sort of the push. Whereas, you know, the opposite of that would be for me to actually go for a walk or to, I don't know, sit in meditation for 20 minutes or to even like watch a silly YouTube thing or like an hour of a TV show that I really love. Like that's actually doesn't come natural to me. That to me is like, oh no, girl, you're wasting time. You shouldn't be doing that. And so for me, it's like, oh, if that's going to be the thing that's going to put me in a state of presence or of laughter or of just lightness, then Mm. that's what I need to do first. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so with you there, my love. Like that's been such a practice for me this year as well because it's like we're so programmed around productivity, productivity, and it's like resting or God forbid like doing something just for our pleasure. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like there can be so much guilt and shame attached to it, but I just loved hearing you highlight that point as well because it's like I feel you there and I'm so in that practice of allowing myself, yeah, like a moment to just do what my heart wants to do Mm -hmm. so that I can rest and reset. 
Speaking of that, I kind of want to, I didn't plan to talk about this, but it just kind of popped into my consciousness. I want to run it by you and see what you think. Yeah. I know we're not allowed to talk about what is shared or happens in Pleasure Club, but do you think we're allowed allowed to talk about like what Pleasure Club is and what it's meant to us? Mm, I would love to talk about that. I think we're allowed. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like we are. <laughs> We're not sharing any like private details about anyone else's experience. So yeah. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> People are like, what is Pleasure Club? <laughs> <laughs> the best thing ever. Say more. <laughs> pleasure Club is a permission slip is the way that I would put it. You know, I think so it's Angel and myself and a couple other women, three other women who are best friends of ours. And we decided to form a group to get together and have the foundation, have the sort of North Star be about and around our pleasure. So that means engaging in pleasure practices, talking about pleasure practices, talking about different practices, both individually and also we're all in relationships. So talking about the practices that we engage in and can start to engage in with our partners. And it's really, I mean, yeah, it's taken such a form, right? So it's been a place to really come together and feel like we're number one, not alone, but also to expand ourselves into more pleasure through, you know, talking about our practices and sharing, sharing with each other what we've been up to. So Mm -hmm. it's like these things that are so sometimes taboo or not talked about in groups of friends. And by the way, it's not even just around, it's around, you know, pleasure by way of, you know, sex, but also money, because there's such a link between sex and money, right? And talking about money as well as being something that's so taboo and not talked about. And, you know, to be able to be with a group of women and celebrate each other's pleasure and not be in competition or in jealousy or in shame or guilt around it and be able to just fully express you know, where we're blocked around it or where we're expanding into it has been such a healing space for all of us. It's been so Mm. freaking amazing. Yeah. It's been like wildly transformative, (laughs) I would say. And just having that, there's a rhythm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you agreed to this, but it kind of started to create this like rhythm and cadence and having that rhythm felt so beautiful to relax into knowing that, you know, every second week we would come together and there was going to be a space where we could fall apart or we could celebrate or we could just be really fucking raw and honest about like, where are we at? Like, are Mm -hmm. we celebrating? We celebrated, we danced around kitchens and we squealed (laughs) with glee and we celebrated wins and we also held each other up, like literally held each other together, you know? Oh it was, my God. Yeah. Wow. I just can't recommend it enough. Yeah. For other women. We've been talking about taking pleasure club and expanding it into like, how can we pass this amazingness on? So mm-hmm. yes, stay tuned for that. But why do you think it's so difficult regularly for women to speak honestly mm. about sex, their pleasure and money? Like, why can Mm. that feel so hard to just tell the truth, like our truth, like what we're really experiencing? Yeah, I think it can be so hard because 
I don't know about you, and I'm sure this is true in a lot of ways, but like from a young age, I experienced with women just a lot of bullying myself. And Mm. there was also a lot of conversation around, you know, don't share too much or don't shine too much, or even just learning not to shine too much because it was feeling other people's jealousy or not wanting to ruffle any feathers or make anyone feel uncomfortable. And so just sort of had this training for me, at least from such a young age to just sort of fit in and be sort of incognito and easy to be around and go with the flow. And so that kind of goes in all directions, right? So it's like, I kind of learned not to share too much of the excitement that was going on in my life, but also not share too much of my struggle either, because I think I didn't ever want to feel like there was something wrong with me because of what I experienced at a young age with the learning stuff. It was like, and even with my dad, I remember feeling like when my dad was sick, I was like, don't feel bad for me. Like I'm good. Like I just didn't want anyone to feel like I needed to be taken care of. Like that for me, I translated into weakness. Mm. And then on the other side of it was like, there was two things. If I celebrate myself too hard, number one, I could jinx myself and it could be taken away. And then I look like a fool or I'm going to make my friends or people that I want to be in relationship feel uncomfortable and they're going to have something to like coin against me or they're going to think something that I can't control. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think with the background that I've had with women and when I was younger, like I've had solid relationships with women as I've, you know, even in college and after college, but that programming is still like deeply rooted inside, which is like, don't shine too much or don't, you know, need anyone too much either. We'll be right back. Holy, whoa. I knew that Awaken, the group coaching container was going to be profound and yet it has still exceeded all of those expectations It has been by far the most profound thing that I've ever facilitated in my life, walking through these 12 most potent spiritual initiations for the feminine soul together as sisters with our weekly live ceremonies, practices and rituals, and just feeling the support of all of these goddesses in the way that they are powerfully showing up for one another feeling the deep healing and wild transformations and up levels that we've been seeing and experiencing as a result. It's literally nothing short of magic. And I'm so, so elated, honored, excited to let you know that our third group for January is open for applications and enrollments. So we're already filling the spots and there are only five left. So if you are feeling that, yes, bubbling up inside of you and you're ready for this kind of spiritual deep dive, wild transformations and life up levels, then this is your official invitation to come and apply to join us. So head on over to www.litupforlife.com forward slash awaken and I will see you there. It's almost like both could create, let's say, quote unquote, the the word that came to me was overexposed. Like if I celebrate, then I'm like overexposed the things that are really important to me that I really care about that I'm because obviously that's why I'm so excited if there's success in that area because it's like I Mm -hmm. really care. 
And then if I'm sharing the things that really hurt, then I also really care about those things. And so it's like almost like a level of vulnerability and openness. And I felt so similarly, like I have felt, yeah, my whole life, like shining too bright puts a target on your back Mm -hmm. and will create unnecessary drama. You know, if you're in your power, it pushes people away, all that stuff. And then of course, you know, being vulnerable and sharing what's really going on or what's really hard for you. Yeah. Like not wanting to take up too much space. It's like, reprogramming that by being in groups of women where the intention is to literally reprogram that has been so powerful. Also like celebrating anyone listening, like get your girlfriends together, do this because everyone essentially like not double or triple their income when we started doing the money work and like the root Mm. chakra work. Mm -hmm. Like that is fucking crazy. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah. It's wild. And I think what really, it was like, I'm sure we all had, and I know we did all have our moments of like, should I share this? Should I not share this? Like it didn't not happen, right? Where there was moments of like, do I want to share how good this is? But it was like our commitment to being in this container with the commitment to celebrate each other. But that frequency was what was holding the space more than like our bits of wobbliness here and there. And so it's like, I always say that like, and we always say with our friends, it's like, we are all just such, you know, authentic expressions of lightness and beauty and expansiveness. And like, I think the big reprogramming belief is just like your success means my success. Like Mm. someone else, you know, can expand me into more as well. And I can see what's possible by witnessing it in my friends. And so to like have a container where that's like the goal and that's the sort of North star, I guess you could say is like that sort of was put into the space, even if there was moments of like, "Mm, I'm kind of, do I want to share this? Do I not want to share this? You know, feeling at your edge. And do you feel like for me, what I experienced is anytime I felt at my edge, another woman would somehow give me the permission if I'd be yes. like, oh man, I'm just feeling like crap today. Or like, you know, oh, yeah. I was with you guys through the whole experience of like losing everything to the fire, like all of that. Like there were days where like I was just like not in a good space and had all the programming coming up around like not wanting to quote unquote bring down the vibe or like right. be overexposed and then like showing up in that space and then mm. maybe a woman in the group would just share so honestly and so radically where she was at and it may not have been the shiniest place Mm. that I was like called forward I was like oh wow this really is a safe space Mm -hmm. it's like yeah it's such a beautiful thing to just create intentional time I think you know because we're all girlfriends and and we all hung out and hanging out was always amazing but to be like when we come together at this time Mm -hmm. we have like an intention and there's some like structure around it in a way. Yeah, totally. And I love what you said. It was like, yeah, this during, you know, when your house burned down, right? And the fire happened and you not needing to show up in any which way. And I think that was actually like, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that was, has been one of the most healing parts of the group was that it's not all like celebration and win. Yes, it is. But then it's also being able to show up and being like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing right now. Mm. and just like the honesty of it right <laughs> yeah. like we can't be up all the time and yet our society kind of 
do you feel that pressure? Like, okay, let's talk about this. Let's get mm. real world for a minute. Being yeah. a life coach, a leader, and doing what we do, plus social media, plus all the things, do you feel like an extra pressure, do you think, around like the joy or the, you know, I don't know, the perfection that women are programmed with? Or do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, I felt that before. I think with our friends, like we're really good at just being able to be where we're at and we're constantly going through processes and supporting each other and, you know, just being in the allowing of whatever it is that we're feeling. But perhaps out in the world, I've experienced that a little bit, just like in social situations. It's like, I thought you were spiritual. Why are you irritated? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, life coach Liz Mars is experiencing like, upset or she's triggered, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, yeah, (laughs) I'm a human and it's good. You know, I think we teach what we teach because we're presently going through it. Like I'm grateful Mm -hmm. for all the triggers. I'm grateful for all the obstacles. I'm grateful for the moments of wobble and uncertainty because that's where I, you know, get to do the work that I do, which is the inner work. And so that's why I feel so in love with what I do because Mm -hmm. I feel embodied in it. And so if I was just like looking at the world through rose colored glasses and spiritual bypassing my entire life, then I definitely wouldn't be a trusted teacher in this space or feel, yeah, an integrity. And so I just, I try to always just be true to me, you know, no matter where I am and what Mm -hmm. I'm doing. But that being said, I've learned to protect my energy based off of like where I go and what I do and who I see when I'm in different states. And so if I'm in a space of vulnerability or sadness or anger or uncomfortableness, then I probably won't go into a space where there's a bunch of people that I don't know or Mm. go to a big party or anything like that. I'll probably just surround myself with my partner or really close to your friends like you. Yeah, baby girl. (laughs) What an honor and a privilege it is. And it's like, I think Brene Brown was the one who said this. It's like, not everyone deserves a a seat at the table of your grief. And I think, yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, you're allowed to be discerning about who we share what with. And I think it's easy to forget that in the age of social media where it feels like you have, quote unquote, have to share everything. Mm. It's like some things can be sacred and some things can be kept Mm -hmm. to yourself and you can get to utilize that discernment. I also just love what you said about you're embodied in what you do because it's not the fact that you get triggered or challenged or whatever. It's the fact that you love leaning into it as like the spiritual and emotional scientist and Mm. alchemizing it, learning from it. I was like, yes. Oh my God. So much. Yes. Yeah. Go for it, my love. Oh no. I I was just saying, yeah. I mean, it's a never ending journey of that. I think we're here to go through different initiations, as I like to say, of things that we're working through. And it's like, once we graduate from one initiation, on comes the next. And so from my experience, I'm always in some kind of an initiation. Yes, honey. (laughs) And it's like, yeah. What were you going to say? Sorry. I was just going to say, I feel like this last week, particularly for anyone listening from the US, you know, it's obviously been like such an intense week. And just, I kind of want to share, speaking about what we're talking about, like the pressure or like is it okay to show up in, let's say, a trigger or to even have a trigger and the extra pressure around that if you work in the wellness space? And I was, I shared like a really vulnerable, which I do on my mailing list, my newsletter. Like I always write where I'm really at and what I'm really feeling. And sometimes that's like 
beautiful, elevated. And other times, like this week, I was like, I spent the whole morning weeping and I mm. practiced. And during my practice, part of my spiritual practice, as I know yours is as well, and many of the women in our circle is screaming and shaking and crying and and then meditating and breath work and all of that. Mm. And kind of shared my experience of transmuting that. But there was such a vulnerability hangover afterwards. I was like, oh. And mm. I just was laughing at myself like, wow, it doesn't actually necessarily ever get easier. You just get better at sitting with the vulnerability and being like, oh, mm. I just shared a lot. <laughs> that feels really scary. <laughs> yes. What would you say are like your best tips or like how do you learn how to breathe through vulnerability or that kind of like, a oh, what, however that shows up for you in life? I think something lately that I've been experiencing that I've been focusing on that's been really helpful is really locating where I feel it in my body. Mm. And for me, I typically feel it in like my sacral area. Mm. And I've been carrying around peppermint and lavender oil. And when I start to feel vulnerable or just any emotion, whether it's fear or sadness or anger or whatever, depending on where I feel it, I bring my attention to that part in my body and I touch it and I put some oil there and I just rub it and I tap it and I just say, I'm here. I'm here. I care about your pain. I care mm. about your suffering. I'm here. Mm, so powerful. And it sort of just allows me to see that the thoughts, again, I'll like go back to that because I think it's so important to start to really see how our thoughts create our feelings and our emotions, which then create our actions, behavior, our reality, is if we can catch it sometimes in the feeling that we're experiencing in our body, the actual physical pain that it causes, and we can just bring our attention and our awareness to that pain and just send it some love and nurture that pain a little bit, something shifts. It like there's an opening and there's this sort of ability to take care of ourselves in a way and become the nurturer. And I think in a world where we're always constantly looking outside of ourselves to feel complete or whole or happy, and it's like this outward looking lens, it's like, how do we turn it back inwards? And how do we give ourselves what we need instead of needing it and seeking it from outside of ourselves? And that's the real sustainable way of being able to be with that because someone can give you their attention or give you their love or like maybe like buying something online or, you know, some sort of instant gratification thing might take it away in a second, but it's not going to be the sustainable thing. And so for me, it's been about really cultivating the nurture from within and giving myself what I need and doing that again and again and again. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. That's like the most potent self-love practice right there, hey, is like just the ability to turn towards ourselves even when it's scary or painful to just, I love what you said, like I care about your pain. Mm. I'm here with you. It's like, oh, the beauty in that, the simplicity of that, but the power of it, you know, we so desperately want to hear these words from other people. We often forget we can say them to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always say like, what I say to myself when I'm going through something, and maybe this can be helpful, is just, what do I need to hear and from whom? And mm. so the what do I need to hear is like, okay, I just need to hear that this is going to pass. I just need to hear that I'm going to be okay. I just need to hear that there's a reason why all this is happening. Like Whatever it is that I need to hear that will just make me 
come into allowance of this moment? And then from who is like, do I need to hear it from my future self? Do I need to hear it from my father who's in the non-physical world, but I can envision his face and I can see him like putting his hand on me and loving me? Do I need to hear it from my best friend who maybe I can't talk to right now, but I'm going to imagine what she would say to me right now. And that's what I'm going to bring into the space. So oh my God, I love what that. do I need to hear and from who? Yes, Liz Mars. Bring it, honey. <laughs> she right? dropping all the goods. Yes, that is such a beautiful practice. I'm 100,000% going to try that. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I feel like we could just cosmic muse all day, honey. But oh, yeah. I get near the end and I don't want to miss out. I know that you magnetized your beautiful man, Andrew, mm. into your life with a fairly specific process. Mm. And that this is also something that you specialize in supporting other women through. So mm-hmm. without giving too much away, can you give us a little inside scoop on that process? Yeah, I really did intentionally call my partner into my life through a process after dating similar types of men for a very long time, I realized that I was attracting really non-emotional types of guys who were great in some ways, some were better than others, (laughs) but just weren't exactly what I really, my soul knew I deserved and needed. And what I realized was that I was constantly looking outside of myself to be filled up by another human. And I didn't actually know how to cultivate that on my own. And so what I would experience is like, the beauty of the early parts of the relationship and then this sort of like abandonment type of feeling that would happen when they would leave or they would take their energy away or whatever. And that really came from an, you know, an abandonment wound from my childhood with my mother. I love my mother very much, but, you know, in moments would just leave or not give me the love that I wanted or needed at that time. Mm. So I was sort of putting men in the mother role and they were playing out that pattern. And it finally, I realized after a six year long relationship where I was sort of just, I wanted marriage. I wanted kids. I wanted like this, like perfect partnership and all these things, but it just like, we weren't headed in the same direction. When I let that go and I started kind of dating again, I realized like, oh my God, I've got to figure out how to give myself what I need. I've got to figure out how to love myself. I've got to figure out how to treat myself like the queen that I am if I'm going to be a match to being treated like that. Mm. So I realized I needed to be able to really love myself. And so that's easy to say and kind of hard to do, but I just took myself through a process and I decided that for three months I was going to set the intention to honor and love myself and romance myself and give myself everything that I wanted someone else to give me. And so I was going to like teach myself how to do that. And so I was like, okay, well, I want to be treated like a queen. I want to be adored. I want to be romanced. I want to be honored in all of these ways. And so I just started to do that for myself. I started to, you know, dim the lights when I would walk into my apartment and light candles and cook myself delicious meals and sit down and eat them slowly. I would write love letters to myself. I would take my time getting ready like ready for anything that I would do. I would put lotion on my body super slowly and just look at myself in the mirror and do a bunch of mirror work, which involved just like loving the parts of my body that maybe I didn't hadn't loved, right? I was like, I'm going to really focus on bringing attention and awareness to anywhere where I've been unkind to myself. 
And during this time, I really, I got off all kind of like social media and I just took a ode of celibacy in a sense of like not even dating men. I also realized like I needed to be able to see guys as just guys. Like I had them on this pedestal and thought that they were like going to be this knight in shining armor that was going to sweep me off my feet, which was confusing when I would go on dates and like I would see like faults in men and I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. Like you're supposed to be like perfect, you know, when really they're just humans. Mm. And so it just, I was dead set on just like shifting my skewed reality of like needing something outside of me and also creating a relationship with men where they were just people and it wasn't a requirement for them to like make me happy, essentially. I love that, taking them off the pedestal and like putting your own power, reinstilling your own power to give yourself what you need. It's so practical really and easy for anyone listening. What do you think the biggest challenge is that you see people face when it comes to calling in like legendary love? I think the biggest challenge is people thinking that they can't have everything that they want and that they have to settle in order to end up with somebody. I'm like, ooh, you did not go where I thought you were going to go. And I love it. (laughs) Yeah, because I think, again, we're so conditioned to be like, okay, so as long as I have these things, like he's making money, you know, like all these boxes check off, you know, then I should just be happy. Like I should just be grateful. This is fine. This is good. Right. But as women, we are meant to be like lit up from the inside. We are meant to be fully expressed. We are meant to be whatever it is that we're here to be in the world. And we're not meant to settle. We're not meant to settle in any way, shape, or form. So I think a lot of people will just sort of say, I mean, essentially, I think that it's we're here to have everything that we want. And when we settle, we sort of block ourselves from being able to receive everything that we want sort of each relationship that we have sort of teaches us more of what we don't want and more of what we do want. And we get to kind of mold the perfect match by way of sort of taking the experiences, the dating experiences that we've had and really seeing like how they've helped us grow into more of who we're here to be. And if we can let go and if we can release, you know, that needing to be the thing, if it's not the thing, then we can open ourselves up to receiving the fullness of the thing if that makes sense. And so, you know, if there's a lot of women who are just sort of settling because there's fear around potentially being alone or not finding the perfect person, but if we could eradicate that fear and we could just trust that there's sort of a divine plan at play here and an orchestration that's happening by the universe that is wants us to grow, wants us to evolve, wants us to be better and better versions of ourselves to receive and give more love, then we won't just stop at the first person that gives us some attention. You know, we'll continue mm-hmm. to open up until there's somebody that comes into our space that feels like, okay, this is someone that I'm excited by, but someone I can grow with and someone that I can ground into and someone that, you know, really sees me for me and I see them for them. And this is exciting and we're going to expand and live the best fucking life that we can possibly live. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like the almost, let's say, the extreme side of the love addict, which I love the phrasing you use of like not just kind of jumping on the first person who gives you an attention 
which would Mm. be that more sort of anxious attachment style love addict. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got that like avoidant person who's quote unquote always looking for the perfect next Mm. best thing because they're going to find the one and they're going to be so, so, so perfect. It's like, yeah, I guess those shadows, like noticing it in yourself, like am Mm. I, yeah, whoever gives me attention, whoever's closest to me, whoever will let me, (laughs) (laughs) or am I just like picking fault with every single like person that I meet it's yeah how do you find that balance of Mm -hmm. as you say like grounding into yourself grounding into your partner being open but also discerning Mm -hmm. yeah I love it and it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier which is like knowing yourself so actually I love that you brought up the attachment thing because during that three-month period when I was like okay it is my mission in this moment to give myself what I need so I don't need to find it from anybody else and I can actually just be sovereign in a relationship I read the attachment book and realized that I was an anxious attachment style. And so having that information helped me understand myself in a way where I could actionably act different than I typically would have based off my attachment style. So my attachment style would say to me, oh, he's definitely done with you. Like, and it would make me want to like hold on really tight or something or not express vulnerably and like play the cool girl, right? It would go in either direction. And so knowing that about myself and having the intention to be as secure as possible, I was like, okay, I'm going to just sit with this and I'm going to actionably share with this person without putting my heart and soul on the line, but from a place of security, even if I'm just faking it till I make it in a sense. I'm going to express to them that, you know, like it feels as if maybe you're pulling away. And I don't know if that's a story that I'm creating, but I've really enjoyed spending time with you. Where are you at with this? Instead of trying to avoid hearing what I didn't want to hear or not being too vulnerable for fear of getting left anyway. And so it was like learning about my attachment style allowed me to act in ways that were in opposition to how I would naturally act. And then that created an unfold and a new opening of new experiences of attracting in different types of people. So the more secure I act, the more I would attract in people that were secure. The more communicative mm-hmm. I was about my feelings without putting it on anyone, the more I would attract in other people that were, you know, communicative and also sovereign in their expression as well. So for me, that was like a really big shift was like, okay, I've got to be a secure person if I'm going to attract in a secure person and have a healthy, secure relationship. And so that was part of that process too, was learning to act in opposition to my natural tendencies. I love that. That's almost like got a Joe Dispenza-like vibe to it. You know how he talks about Mm. like rehearsing the change or mentally rehearsing a different choice. And as you say, you can't do that if you're not aware of the choices that you're choosing currently and not Mm -hmm. aware of patterns. So it's so key, as you're saying, to just know yourself. And I kind of love how full circle we've come that we end up at you sharing about being a sovereign woman, being a mm. self-sovereign woman. <laughs> Before we move into, I love that beautiful circle. Before we move into the rapid fire questions, I have two other questions for you mm. on the topic. What do you love most about being a woman? And when I say in woman, W-O-M-X-N, so for anyone femme identifying, we're including you here. What do you love, Liz Mars, most about being a woman? 
My goodness. I love just being in my feminine essence. I love dancing. I love playing dress up. I love curling my hair, <laughs> putting on makeup and lipstick and just adorning myself and feeling feeling super feminine and beautiful. Mm. I love beauty and the expression of beauty in the world. And I think that can be expressed in so many different ways, but the way that I can express it with this temple that I was given and this form that I've been gifted is through really taking care of what I put on my body and using the clothes and the jewelry and the just expression on my face to inspire myself and also hopefully other people as well. Mm with the beauty. Yeah, it's so it's such quality that gets a bad rap, but humans, you know, we love beauty. I was thinking about that when I we were in Italy recently like going through the Vatican museums and looking at all this like ancient stuff and it's like mm. we love beauty and it's mm -hmm. not necessarily a superficial thing. It's like as you say beauty can be expressed in a gesture, in an yeah. expression, a smile. Yeah, food. Anything. So what do you think is hardest or how, what do you feel is hardest about being a woman? I think for me, it's been a journey of just allowing myself to really experience pleasure and softness coming again, going back to like the conditioning of, you know, being responsible and, you know, making sure that all your ducks are in a row there's like a control mechanism and a hardness and a masculinity, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with being masculine as long as it's balanced, but a sort of like a roughness around like, if I don't make it happen, then it won't happen type of a mentality. And mm. I think the hardest thing for me, which is something that I'm constantly working on is softening into the feminine essence of receiving and trusting that I don't have to go out and make anything happen, that I can just be me in, again, going back to like choosing the expansive moments, like choosing to decide what I want to do or how I want to be or what the next step is based off what expands me. That's all I need to do. It's like, just be me. And going back to like talking about my father and experiencing him in the non-physical realm he came through to me in a medicine ceremony that I did one time, him and both my grandfathers, and they were surrounding me and I was being circled by them. And then I came up and they were dancing with me. They were like passing me off to each other and like in this beautiful ceremonial dance. And they were singing to me and they just kept saying, just be you. That's all you have to do. Mm. Just be you. And so oh, every time I think of that, it's like, that's what grounds me back is just like, I don't need to do anything other than what feels true for me, like just being my self, right? Just being me is enough. And I think that's something that I constantly have to go back to is like, I don't have to force, I don't have to push, I don't have to make anything happen. It's all happening. And the more that I can just surrender into the being of me, the more that I'll actually be able to align with the receiving of everything that I'm here to receive, which is a magnitude of love in return to give that magnitude of love as well. Ooh, 
Yes, Queen. Goosebump city over here. <laughs> just be you and just knowing that you are worthy just because you're here. It's like hearing you mm. say those words and share that story just like hit me to my soul. Mm. I have a few rapid fire questions for you, my love. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> so someone comes to you and they're feeling really down and you can only give them one piece of advice. What do you say? I would just say, feel your feelings. Like your feelings are welcome here and everything, even if you can't see it in this moment, everything is working out in your favor. And what do you believe is the most important thing for successful relationships? Two things, growth and kindness. I think that having the relationship being sort of like a safe place for both people to grow individually and then also collectively is like one of the most important things. Could not agree more. And mm. I love the addition of kindness. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, well, I'll often say like, yeah, growth and like being committed to growth is such a gluing factor for Patrick and I, but yeah, the, the kindness. Wow. That's so key. Yeah. So if yeah. you could be an animal, what animal would you be? So really the thing that comes to mind is actually surprising. It's a cat because I'm not like necessarily a cat person. And I was always sort of told that I was allergic to them. Although maybe I was at one point, I don't think I am anymore, but just a cat. I think they're just sovereign beings. Like they're super fiercely independent, yet they're loyal. And they're also intimate when they want to be, when it feels right. They're smart. They're intuitive. They're just like these beautiful beings that sort of follow their own intuition and their own flow. And you can't necessarily like catch them. They're sort of like these sexy felines that just are going to do what they're going to do when they want to do it. And there's so much beauty in that to me. Yes. I love that answer. <laughs> so my feline love, if you could <laughs> have one superpower, what would it be? One superpower I think would be to shift this collective sort of fear of the unknown into an excitement of the unfolding. Like if everybody was like excited about the unknown instead of fearful of it, then I feel like the energy of the world of the universe would just be one that was much more expanded. Oh my God, we'd be in bliss. Because we'd be in bliss and possibility. Everything is unknown. So at every moment, we'd just be like, oh my God, what's, what's going to happen? happen? <laughs> right? Like imagine if everybody was like, ah, what's going to happen right now? Like that feels so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would love to be able to have a dose of that anytime I need. I'll call you up. <laughs> so if you could only take one spiritual practice, one tool with you to a desert island, what would it be? Mm. I think I'm going to have to say movement because it's like, I can't imagine not being able to just like move and like that could mean sitting and, and meditation and just like lightly moving and rocking my hips to like a full on guttural, like, you know, jumping up and down, banging my hands on the floor. Just, I feel like I just, the movement piece is huge. Yes. I hear that. What <laughs> is your favorite thing that you own? I think that I would say I have this ring it was a ring that my grandfather, Melvin Aronoff, but we called him Poppy when he was living. Him and my grandmother had like the most insane relationship. They were just so in love. They were like, they fawned over each other. And I can honestly say that like, 
the way that they were together is how I experienced my partner and I, me and Andrew is just like, I just feel like I'm just like obsessed with him. Like he could do no wrong. I love him so much. And that's where I really learned about love was through watching my grandparents. Anyways, that being said, he loved to just gift her things. And one thing that he gifted her was this like gorgeous diamond ring. And he gave it to her for like one of their anniversaries. And when I was born, my grandmother slipped it on my mom's finger and with the intention of like, one day that will be my ring. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be given to me, like probably when I got married or had my first child, but that hasn't happened yet. And I'm 35 and there's actually like, it's all unfolding in perfect timing. But my parents, like when my dad was still living, like two years before my dad passed away, my mom pulled it out and it was a ring that I had never really seen her wear. She didn't wear it very often. And both of my parents gave me this ring. So it also just represents just like, you know, the love between my parents and them both giving it to me. And there's just so much in it. Like Andrew also really reminds me, sorry, this is, I'm like really going off on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Andrew really reminds me of my grandfather, Poppy. Like they have very similar energy. And so, so much in this ring. I love it. So much. It's like so beautiful to have something in the physical that's truly an anchor to something mm. so deep for us. So what is something that you believe is true that other people might think is crazy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's more of what I was saying earlier. Just, And I don't know how many people would think this was crazy. I'm sure there's people out there that do, but sort of the idea that, again, our thoughts create our reality, but really I have this kind of idea that there's like two different umbrella lenses that we can see the world through. And one is through fear and lack and scarcity, you know, that's all kind of jumbled up. And then there's one that's like love and abundance and trust. And depending on which way we choose to perceive and see the world through which lens we're looking through will be what timeline we hop into and that there's like these multiple timelines existing at once and rapid change can happen just by deciding to choose into a different belief that can then create a different reality for you. And so that there's just multiple timelines that are happening at once and based off of what how you choose to see the world will be how you experience it and who you'll call into your life. Yeah, yeah. Do some timeline hopping. I feel like we just <laughs> did some for this last week. Thanks for sure. For us. Yes. <laughs> if you could eat one meal before you die, what would it be? Sorry to do that to you. For sure. I mean, it's like not even hands down an Austin, Texas girl born and raised. So for me, it would be breakfast tacos, just like a really good breakfast taco with like some eggs and some delicious cheese and bacon and salsa on like delicious homemade tortilla. Like you just can't get breakfast tacos everywhere and they're so good. Oh, I feel like I need the 411 on the breakfast taco. I don't think I've ever even had a breakfast taco. All right, girl, I am going to make you one. You will see what I'm talking about. I'll hold you to that, honey. <laughs> Hurry home. Last one. If there was a universal answering machine and you could leave a 15 second note on it, that everyone in the world was going to hear today or a few words or sentences, what would you say? Mm. That there's a master plan and that life is happening for you and you're exactly where you need to be. And everything really that you're experiencing has been divinely orchestrated to deepen your capacity to give and receive more love. Thank you so much, my love. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
sharing your wisdom and your heart. And for being my buddy, for being my pleasure Aww. club pal, hon, yes. I miss you. <laughs> I know. I miss you. Hurry home. We miss you here in LA. And I'm just so grateful for this sisterhood and this conversation and just love what you're creating in the world. So thank you so much for having me. Mm, thank you for shining your light. Beautiful, beautiful woman. Where can people find you? On Instagram is Liz underscore Mars, M-A-R-Z. And then, yeah, you can find me there. I have a website, which is just Liz Mars. Is it LizMars.com? I don't even know. Just go on my Instagram. I don't remember. I remember <laughs> I did like recently change my website. Just go to Instagram. And from just there, go to Instagram, Liz flow. underscore Mars. <laughs> Bless. All right, boo. Love you. I love you. Thanks for listening, beautiful, divine human beings. And remember, if you are feeling the call to go deeper in your spiritual transformation, if you are desiring to deepen your community, to have sisters walking on this path beside you, to have my one-on-one support and some in-depth spiritual initiations, transformations, and just profound healing and embodiment of ecstasy that you're so worthy of, then come on over to www.litupforlife.com forward slash awaken. You're going to get all the info on the group coaching that's opening up soon and how to apply. I'll see you there.